Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And what's up, GC Live fam? Got a great show planned for you here today. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. This is GC Live. Uh, Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter right now, or you're listening on the podcast later on after the fact, we appreciate you joining us here for the show. Got a a jam-packed show for you here today, special guests that I'm going to tell you about here in a second. But first, got to tell you about our good buddy, Clint Hammond. Clint Hammond is, of course, the top mortgage broker at the Columbia Mortgage Network here in town. Check him out, clinthammond.com, or give Clint a call, 803-771-6933. Clint, a good buddy of mine. You can also email him, chammond at mortgagenetwork.com if you're in the market for a new house or maybe just thinking about saving a little bit of money on a refinance. Um, Give Clint a shout. He'll be sure to help you out and, uh, of course, is our prime presenting sponsor here on GC Live, Gamecock Central Live. Uh, again, I'm Wes. He's Chris. Got a uh, a guy that I think most Gamecock fans should be familiar with unless they've just hopped on the Gamecock bandwagon here in the last, I don't know, five years or so. But Busta Anderson, we're starting to sort of go down the list of, of former Gamecocks, uh, former Gamecock tight end. Was here, Chris, for some really, really good times in South Carolina football. Um also shared the field and split some time with some really good South Carolina tight ends, uh, much like himself, some other really good tight ends uh, back when South Carolina would roll out there and in that two tight ends set and, and create some mismatches and really excited to, to hear from Busta. And uh, Chris, I, I can tell you one thing I'm already going to ask him about. You know, I, I was in a mood yesterday of just getting people pumped up on Twitter and I posted that video from, from Gamecocks Online back in the day, 2012 Georgia pregame sandstorm going nuts probably maybe one of the loudest pregames in South Carolina football Williams Bryce Stadium history and um, I know Busta was there on the field and and had a big touchdown catch early in that game so looking forward to maybe asking him about that and ask him a bit about what he's been up to man yeah and I was going to say coming into the show and, and just thinking about some questions and some talking points with Busta that was that was the sort of moment that comes into my mind when I think about his career at South Carolina was that early touchdown catch that he had against Georgia. What was that, the first touchdown or maybe the second touchdown of many in that game for South Carolina against Georgia? But it was an early one, came sort of across the field, hits him and, and touchdown. It, it was it was a great play, well-designed play. And uh, he was a really talented kid, man. I remember his recruitment, G.A. Mangus recruited him out of high school. Um, out of McEachern High there in Georgia. Um, he was a three-star guy, but he's someone that you looked at, you watched his film in high school, and you said, man, this kid's pretty athletic. And he was really good, man. I think he's a very undervalued player. He did uh, get drafted late in the seventh round of the NFL, spent some time there, actually got into coaching for a little bit, for a little bit after his playing days are over. And we're going to, you know, check with him and, and see what he's up to nowadays. But his very first year, man, he had an impact. 
He came in his first two years. He played in 26 games, so he played in every game. Caught three touchdowns his first year. Caught five touchdowns during that 2012 season where we just referenced that Georgia game. So had a really nice career for the Gamecocks and was was a really quality player for them while he was in Columbia. Yeah, ended up catching in his career 61 passes, 954 yards, nine touchdowns. And, and really, Chris, probably a guy that – Back then, you look at the stretch of his career, 2011 through 2014, the football was getting spread around to a number of guys, especially, I mean, I remember, you know, those 2012, 2013 teams, just um, lots of guys that could go make a play for you, lots of guys that could get open. And, um, you know, he was certainly certainly one of them. And, uh, again, like you said, he had, he had one of the first two touchdowns. I'm trying to – I'm second-guessing myself as well. Um, I know – Early on, you had an early touchdown from Bruce Ellington. You had an early touchdown from Busta Anderson. And then, of course, the big Ace Sanders punt return uh, there that just set the place on fire. And I tell you, Ace, maybe Ace is a future guest here on the show. Maybe try to get him because that would be fun to talk to him about that experience. So, yeah, we'll have Busta on probably now you're looking, you know, maybe about 15 minutes from now he's going to hop on. And uh, for those of you who are watching – Live, uh, Buster will be on here with us live to, to talk a little ball. So if you got any questions for him, throw them in the chat. What's up to everybody joining us live? Um, throw, throw your questions in there. We'll try to get a few of them and throw them at Buster and, and sort of see what, what his thoughts are. And, and want to get his thoughts on what's going on at South Carolina right now, current staff, current program, the future of the program, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Chris, we're sort of counting down the days to spring practice. We be, we believe that's going to start on the 20th. I, I know that's sort of the the date that Shane Beamer had mentioned last month when he did a press conference. No official release as far as an announcement or as far as a schedule, but that's sort of the, the thought right now, March 20th. So right now you're looking at, at 10 days away. And, you know, I, I imagine during the show the next 10 days we're probably going to be starting to – focus in on, on some spring storylines. I've started to write a, a little bit about some some spring storylines. And um, the interesting thing to me, man, is that, you know, in general, if you go into a season, let's say, for example, there's a new offensive coordinator, then a, a lot of the talk will be about, uh, you know, new offensive scheme, which guys maybe fit in, which guys have a chance to maybe take a step forward. Uh, or let's say you have a new defensive coordinator. It's, well, what's you know, what, what does this guy bring into the table? What is his approach? How is it different from the past? Well, it's almost like there there will be so many different storylines this spring that it's going to be hard to narrow any of them down because every single position. And then with the assistant coaching changeover, I mean, it's literally unless you're being coached by Mike Peterson, you, you have a new guy running your room, you know, yep. so – New head coach, obviously, but new offense, new defense, new special teams, and new assistant coaches almost across the board. So there will be literally no shortage of things to try to pay attention to this spring. Yeah, I mean, new strength staff, so the offseason program's been different. So the the questions that are going to be asked of these players – you know, in media settings and, and the type of stuff that we're going to be trying to run down in terms of information during the spring, whether it's stuff that's public or the private type stuff that we try to run down, and bring to our subscribers, it's, it's going to really run the gamut, right? I mean, it's going to be 
you know, how was the off-season program maybe different to, than what you experienced in the past? Um, what what'd you like about it? What, how's the approach different? You know, even Shane Beamer as, as a head coach has has put together sort of a different vibe, right? A different type of atmosphere. It's been a little different in some ways. Um, defensive and offensive scheme, uh, styles of these various coaches, players that maybe have not done as much in the past that are that have stepped forward during the offseason program and may be poised to maybe surprise some people during the spring. So like you said, man, whether it's whether it's scheme, whether it's style, whether it's potential production out of some guys, there there are a ton of different storylines to watch this spring. And then you just boil it down to this, you know, who's going to win some jobs? You know, how, how are things going to get split up in terms of you look at the receiver position or the defensive back position? Some different spots where there are a lot of guys vying for for playing time. At when you look at those two specifically, some spots where they really need guys to step forward. Um, and and there are even some some little other battles going on there. You got you know Kevin Harris, one of the best backs in the country, coming back, and then you add Marshawn Lloyd back to that mix too. So just a lot of different things going on that I think are, are worth watching. So it's going to be probably the most interesting spring in quite a while around here. Yeah, and, and man, I, I tell you, among those different things that we're going to be hitting on that you just hit on there, I am most curious to find out, and we may not have this answer yet. In fact, I don't think we will have this answer looking at previous scheme changes. Um, I'm very interested to hear what's happening with the offensive scheme. And I, I think this is going to be one of those things where literally we may not truly know you know, until until the fall, until we're starting to hear things out of preseason practice, and really maybe until it gets into like actual game weeks and actually seeing it on the field. Because what you want to do schematically, from a big picture standpoint, sometimes uh, ends up being very different from what you go into an actual game week calling against a particular opponent with your the skill set of your guys that you have available on that given exact week, you know. But I'm most curious to see sort of the big picture of what this scheme is going to be. It's going to start to sort of be molded, I'm sure, to the talent South Carolina has. But I I would say, you know, you look at at Clayton White on the defensive side of the ball. We, you know, for one, unless you're just doing this completely crazy exotic stuff, um, th- there's only so many different ways to sort of structure a defense. And I, I think we'll, we'll have a decent idea and already have some idea of what that's going to look like. Special teams, it, it is interesting. You know, I've heard some things about Pete Limbo already um, that I think Gamecock fans should be excited about. Stuff about, hey, you know, we're doing some things around here that I've never seen before. Uh, you know, you, you look at what he's done in his past stops on the special team side of the ball and very, very impressive. The results speak for themselves. But also, if you asked, I would say, 10 fans, even if 10 hardcore fans, hey, what type of – what does South Carolina do on special teams as far as how they line up on kickoffs or punt returns compared to any other team? Ten, probably 10 out of 10 – wouldn't be able to answer that unless they had some background in special teams. Uh, you know, and I'll include myself in that, even as a media person who follows it, 
special teams as far as schematically what you're doing gets completely glossed over. So that's yeah. not even really a topic of conversation. But then, Chris, I go to the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, there's a much greater sort of, um, I would say, expanse of different things you can do on offense. And then you have a guy in, in Marcus Satterfield who comes in, wasn't running the offense at his last stop, obviously, in Carolina. You have this influence from Shane Beamer, what he did at Oklahoma. You have this influence from Joe Brady that we imagine is going to be a part of this. And we don't really know. You know, he, he was asked during his opening press conference, but a lot of it was sort of the the talk about what you hear from every coach. Um, you know, we're going to we're going to spread it out. We're going to get the ball in space, blah, blah, blah. Not details on scheme. So I'm. That, that, to me, is, in my mind, the most interesting conversation, the most interesting storyline heading into this one. Um, is that the same for you? And if if so, what, what's your number two? Um, and if not, what's your number one? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, that was funny the way you asked that. Um, I, I do think the offense is the most intriguing thing, you know, because of – and, there, and there's a lot of different layers to it. The scheme is number one because just trying to figure out how USC is going to sort of mold and mesh these different concepts. We know that they want to take some Oklahoma concepts. We know that there's some Joe Brady type concepts that Marcus Satterfield worked with uh, in Carolina with the Carolina Panthers with Joe Brady last year that are going to be carried over as well. So, um, it, you know, and, and a lot look schematically, with football, you know, you mentioned this about defense. There's only so many things offensively, too. There's a lot of different things. But some of the concepts even within offenses that you would think are really, really different, quote-unquote, there's some similar concepts, whether it's a similar type of run or a similar type of protection, similar passing concept. That And those things do carry over. So that that is going to be an interesting focal point. But I think even when you dive down deeper into the offense, it's it's things like, uh, quarterback, Luke Doty, his progression, Jason Brown in the mix, Colton Gothier, watching those guys and seeing how they progress within the offense. Um, the receiver position, because it's such a huge question mark, who's going to step forward? There are going to be some guys that maybe we've, I don't know, almost written off that show up. Who who are going to be the top three guys? Who are some of the guys that they can roll in behind there? Can they get enough production? And then, like I mentioned, Lloyd and Harrison obviously having some some quality offensive linemen that return as well. So there's some good there, there's some concern there, and then there's just some question there. So I think when you add up all those different things, it, it makes for a really interesting uh, storyline just in general on that side of the football. Yeah, and, um, you know, again, I, I don't know how much of that's going to be answered, but I, I think we'll, we'll start to maybe have an idea of, of some of these position battles that clearly are going to – that they will affect the scheme. You know, who whoever wins the quarterback battle is going to affect what South Carolina's offense looks like. Um, yep. You know, which, which receivers step up and play well um, is going to sort of affect what they do as far as the passing game as well. So we'll see how all this sort of um, meshes together. And, and I think that's ultimately the goal for Marcus Satterfield. I, I know, Chris, when, when you look at, Mike Bobo in his one year here, and I know that's that's almost like a, a dirty word for South Carolina fans right now. It it 
it did not end on a positive note with the way South Carolina fans view Mike Bobo and the Mike Bobo tenure. So, um, but let's try to look past that aspect of this. And I will say one thing we, Chris, consistently heard about Mike Bobo and the offensive scheme and what he wanted to do and whether you even agree with the approach on offense or not. Again, throw that out. The best offenses have complementary aspects. So, you know, one thing, every every single run had a play action based off of the exact steps and motion into the backfield to where they complement each other. The, the key when you're taking a lot of these different ideas and concepts, in my opinion, Chris, is that you're able it, – it doesn't just look like a hodgepodge of different ideas all thrown together and you call it an offense. At times, I, I believe – I believe at times, if you want to go back, Brian McClendon was on to some things that worked really well. But then other times and the offense bogged down at times, it felt like it was just like, all right, we're doing this from over here. We're pulling this from here. We're pulling this from here. I understand being multiple, but the biggest key for me will be to take all these different great ideas because you're going to have a lot of great ideas in the room when you're talking about all the people involved. And then even – I mean, dude, Greg Atkins has been an offensive line coach for a thousand years. So, you know, I mean, this guy is very sharp. Offensive line coaches probably know the schemes, you know, especially from a running game standpoint, as well as anybody. You've got a young up-and-comer in Justin Stepp who's been around some really good offensive minds already in his career. Eric Kimberly, Eric Kimry, we know what he did on offense, uh, you know, with, with his offenses at, at Hammond. Very sharp guys we both can attest to. Uh, Monterio Hardesty has played in and coached in a variety of schemes. So you have all these different ideas being thrown onto the board, right? To me, Marcus Satterfield, job number one is to take all these ideas and make it fit. Yeah, make make it a system, right? And for South Carolina, I think that's going to be even more important, especially in the early going of, of the Shane Beamer tenure because – this isn't an offense where you can look at it from a personnel standpoint and just say it doesn't, you know, take out extreme examples like the triple option or something. You're not going to say this is a team that's just so good from a personnel standpoint, they can go out there and just run pretty much anything and and beat people one-on-one. Because now they have some good offensive linemen coming back. They have some talent at quarterback, right? they got athleticism at quarterback in Luke Doty especially. Um, they've got at least two really good running backs, we think, one that's proven it and one who was one of the top backs in the country, Marshawn Lloyd coming out, some other guys too. But the receiver position, you know, you got Nick Muse at tight end. The receiver position is the one you look at and you go, that they we don't know that they have the guys that can go win 50-50 balls, that can win one-on-ones against these really talented, long, fast, rangy defensive backs that they're going to face week in and week out. And so the scheme and the system – becomes a little bit more important in that regard. How Maybe can you steal some yards? How much do they lean on the run game? What's the passing game look like? You're going to have to scheme guys open probably a, a little bit more. So it does become even more important, I think, for South Carolina. And that's, you know, again, like you hit on, man, that's why it's it's intriguing. That's why it's so interesting. 
Craig, with a good question here and something, it's a topic that I think is on a lot of people's minds, that at least the ones that follow recruiting and that sort of side of things in Gamecock Nation. Craig wanting us to touch on 2022 quarterbacks. Um, Chris, I, I think what we are seeing and, um, you know, it, it. some people are going to say it sounds like an excuse, uh, which is fine if they want to say that. But I, I think what we're seeing right now is that it is hard if you're in South Carolina's position, new staff, a lot of these kids haven't met them in person. A lot of these kids haven't been on South Carolina's campus. They haven't seen the facilities. And frankly, you won, what, two games last year, four the year before. Um, you're trying to sell a vision. Yep. And you're trying to do it over Zoom while battling for quarterbacks at places that are currently more established. So – has South Carolina had some misses at the quarterback position as far as recruiting so far in this class? I, I think that's fair to say. Is it also fair to say there are some reasons why that is happening so far? Absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, you look, we were obviously tracking Tanner Bailey very closely. We are tracking Drew Alar as someone to, to keep an eye on there at, at the quarterback position that South Carolina had offered as well. Um, those guys committed – in the last week or so. And um, that clearly will be a big topic of discussion, I think, moving forward. And by the way, Craig, hold that thought. We're going to go out now. We got our special guests getting lined up, but we're going to come when we come back after we talk to Busta Anderson, we're going to dive a little bit into quarterback recruiting and maybe into the quarterback position at South Carolina right now. But, uh, but before that, Busta, I see you down there, man. Give me a thumbs up if you're ready for me to bring you on live. Um, think we got, Buster, or maybe he's frozen. Let's see. Looks uh, like frozen right now down there. Yeah, Buster, can you can you hear me, man? Give me a thumbs up if you can if you can hear me. Um, here, let's let's just give it a shot. Um, try to bring him in. The video may be freezing on us, but hopefully the audio is going to work. Um, Buster, I think we got you live now, man. How you doing today? Appreciate the time. Oh, what's going on, man? I appreciate y'all having me on here. Yeah, again, this is uh, joining us now on the show, former Gamecock tight end, Busta Anderson. Uh, Busta, first of all, tell us, man, what, what you got behind you? I, I see um, a uh, maybe a team photo. I see some photos of you making some plays back there, man. Uh, tell us what – you've got a better background than Chris Clark does already, and he does a show every day. So tell me what you got back there, man. So I got this, uh, this, what is this, the 2014, the Capital One Bowl game picture. That's when um, we finished number four in the, in the nation that year. And I got a little collage. We beat Georgia, one of my all-time favorite pictures, one of my all-time favorite touchdowns right here. Um, actually, this one right here is my first touchdown against Tennessee my freshman year. And then I got a little picture behind here against Missouri. And then I got a little – my little frame photo, and then my dog, he wants to make an appearance now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's nice, man. That, that's awesome. So, so Buster, we were talking, you know, you mentioned that Georgia game. Um, the uh, the Gamecocks online video of Sandstorm prior to that Georgia game is sort of going around a little bit on, on our Twitter, and we were just talking about how that the 2012 win over Georgia was maybe – one of, if not the best atmospheres we've always seen 
we've ever seen at williams Bryce Stadium, man. So, oh, yeah. it, you know, if, if you can, I, I know you you had a big play in that game, obviously an early touchdown. And I, man, I I can't remember a stadium where it was almost like you couldn't even hear yourself think. So, what what was it like? A making that big play um, and, and just being on the field that given day when South Carolina beat Georgia. I think they were both like top six in the country, man. Yeah, I think we came in, I think we might have been number three, somewhere around there, number three to five around that time. And Georgia around about five or six that year. Just coming to that game, I mean, we knew it was a big game. We knew we had to come and perform. Obviously, uh, we had a big game following um, that week, so we were prepared. Everything was good. The atmosphere was great. It was one of the best games that I've ever played in. I mean, definitely as a um, as a home game. I mean, you couldn't you could ask anybody that's been at that game. They'll tell you that's one of the best atmospheres I've ever been in. I talked to a bunch of Georgia guys after that game. They couldn't believe that the game went that crazy. I mean, they literally scored no points until the end. <laughs> when I tell you, I mean, I mean, it's hard to explain that game just because just atmosphere is just. You can't. That, and that, that's what I was going to ask you about, Buster, that that picture that you have there of the touchdown in that game against Georgia. Um, you know, tell us a little bit, you know, maybe what you remember about that play. And you also mentioned that it was your one of, if not your favorite touchdown you scored in your career. So, you know, why was that? Was it just because it came against Georgia, which was your home state program, or what was so significant about it for you? So this one, this one actually is my senior year. Okay. This is not the not the 2012 game that we're referring to. Gotcha. Twelve game that we're referring to. It was just totally, totally different. But no, no, that's a different one right there. Gotcha. Yeah, we we couldn't we couldn't quite see that one. Well, tell us about so first. Tell us about that touchdown that you have framed and, and the significance of that one your senior year, and then maybe take us back to 2012 too. That was Wes and I were, couldn't remember if it's the first or second touchdown of the 2012 game. It's actually the second touchdown. But walk us through both of those and what you remember. So, and this picture here, this was my senior year. Um, that game, I think it was like a rain delay or something going on that game. So, we were all in the locker room. They kept saying, hey, we got a game in the next 30 minutes. They kept pushing it 30 and 30 minutes. It came to a point where we ended up getting out of uniform, just chilling until we figured out what, what was going on next. But then, obviously, the game finally started. I think it was a noon game. They got postponed a little bit. And, I mean, for me, going into my senior year, I knew that was a big game, a big game for me to put on tape, obviously trying to make it to the next level. I remember we we ran – I forgot the name of the play, but I knew I, I ran that play against my man, Marlo. That's actually a good buddy of mine that actually uh, played ball with in high school a little bit and had a, uh, a little seven-on-seven. Seven. So I knew I had a matchup against him. It was just one-on-one. It was – Dylan said, man, I'm, I'm throwing it to you. You just got to go up and get it. And, I mean, it worked out for itself, and that's one of the best plays I've said I ever made. Yeah, and, and Busta, I think um, – I remember, for some reason, Spurrier just attacking Georgia in the passing game early on in that game. Um, maybe It seems like he was hitting them down the seams, down the middle of the field. And uh, Go ahead. Uh, but about that game, uh, one thing I can tell you, we knew that attacking their their secondary was a weakness that that year. We knew they had a good a good front seven that year, but their secondary was kind of suspect. So I mean, I think I had probably about three catches early on. Uh, I remember Shaq 
Shaq caught a touchdown. Pharaoh mm-hmm. touchdown that game. I mean, we lit that game up as far as in the past game. I mean, we probably scored probably like twenty to thirty-five points that game. I I can't even remember, but it was it was a good game. It was a battle down to the end on that game. But as far as the the twenty twelve game, that uh, electric atmosphere. Now that game was just nuts. Like you said, you couldn't even hear anything. You couldn't hear any audibles. You couldn't hear the coaches talking to you. All you heard was your your helmet rattling. The game just just crazy. So I knew when we ran the scissors play, which is the the crossing play, we run that against man a lot. So we knew that hey, if we can get one of those guys man to man. And we get a crossing on those guys, we'll be able to get down the field. And it was just something that bust wide open. It was literally the perfect call. I mean, Connor threw it right over my shoulder. It was just a walk-in touchdown from there. Good deal, Bustin. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, one of the questions that we got in the in the comments section here from a lot of Gamecock fans who are curious about hearing about you is, they wanted to know – I'll loop these two into one. What I'm wanting to know your best Spurrier story. It seems like all the former players have a Spurrier story. And also someone asked about the the best locker room story that you can actually tell. So maybe you can loop those all into one um, or, or two separate stories. But do you have a Spurrier story, Spurrier impression, anything like that that you can share with us? I remember um, this, is, this was a funny day. We was at practice one day and – Coach Spurrier wanted me to run a run a corner route, and he kept telling me, "Hey, hey, bus, you're you're running the wrong way. I want you to go up there. Want to get to the top route? Stick your head to the left and go to the corner." And that's that's my best impression as far as the voice wise. But I mean, I kept running it. I felt like I was running perfect, but apparently to him, it wasn't up to his standards. So <laughs> watching him go out there and try to run the route was one of the funniest things. You know, he has to throw his keys down his hat all the good stuff just to go out there and, and run the route. So watching him run the route was probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen him do. It, but, but so I, I got to ask, so every, every single guy we ask about Spurrier, um, for one, they all, they all do the voice. And, and two, <laughs> they all, you know, all of you have a story. So, I mean, I don't, and I don't know if you can even put this into words because it's probably uh, kind of hard to do, but what was it like, on a day-to-day basis playing for somebody like Steve Spurrier and sort of, it seems like you just never knew what to expect or what was going to come out of his mouth from day to day. What was that like, man? Now I tell everybody, everybody always asks, how is Coach Spurrier? Like what kind of guy is he? I always tell people he's exactly what, what you see when you, when you see him on TV. He likes to joke. He likes to clown. I mean, sometimes he gets on the players. It may get up under your skin that day, but hey, it may just be your day. But he's that joking, laughing. I mean, he's a player's coach first. But when I tell you, you never know what's going to come out that man's mouth. He may he may get on the mic after the game and talk junk about the the, the team that we play next week, or he might just. I think that just playing for him was was just a blessing. Uh, first of all, being able to go to the University of South Carolina was was a blessing, and then getting my education there. But that dude there, man, it's so many stories I could tell, but it's a lot of stuff I got to keep. Got to keep between us. So, yeah, no doubt. Well, and, and we did, we did say keep keep it the ones that you can actually tell. So fair enough. Uh, so 
Something else I wanted to ask you, obviously after your career finished up, 2014 season, you, you were there at South Carolina for, you know, the, the 33 and six years, then 2014, and then you actually got drafted into the NFL. So tell us a little bit about that experience, you know, what it was like to go through that process leading up to training for the draft, actually hearing your name called, how, how that was, and then, um, you know, just your NFL career and all that stuff, just just your thoughts on that. So, I mean, I never, I never forget draft day. Um, just sitting there with my family, um, just having a good time. I think we cooked, had a couple of drinks that day, just waiting on my name to get called. You know, um, I got drafted in the seventh round. Initially, I thought I was going to go probably about, probably about fifth or sixth, and then essentially, I seen my name keep getting, keep, um, getting pushed back. So I'm like, hey, I'm just going to sign free agency. So I was already prepared to sign. I think it was with the Panthers. And then all of a sudden I got my name called. And when I say I was super excited, I mean, I had my whole family around me. I mean, all the people that I love was in the same room with me. It was one of the best days of my life. I mean, I can't, I can't explain it into so many words. It was just one of those days you can't, you can't explain. I wish I'd had it on video, which I didn't, but hey, it's all good. Yeah, obviously a special moment, man, for you, your family, and you have worked hard to get to that point. So let's sort of rewind it back, um, you know, to the recruiting process and uh, picking the Gamecocks. And mate, what what do you remember? I know I guess it's been a, a little a little while since you were seventeen and in high school and getting recruited. And um, I know, Coach, I guess Coach Mangus was sort of your area recruiter. What do you remember about that process and and the other schools you were considering and and why? Um, why you chose the Gamecocks? Well, for me, it was out of either the Gamecocks or um, Tennessee. So I was going to go to Tennessee or South Carolina. Both the schools were close, close to home. I felt comfortable with what the schools had to offer, not only as far as the sports, but as far as the education as well. And then one thing, <laughs> it's a funny joke that uh, me and my buddy make, um, named J.J. Marcus or Khadijah Marcus, y'all may know him by. He also uh, came along to South Carolina with me. And it just came down to uh, we felt like Tennessee wasn't a good team. I mean, we, we thought they were sorry at the time, to be honest with you. And we knew that the Gamecocks had just went to the SEC championship. They were up and coming. And when it came down to that decision on, on signing day, it was a no-brainer for me. I I got had a good relationship with Coach Mangus. He was from um, – the same county in which I played high school ball in. So just like an easy connection. And it was two hours away from, from home. So it was a pretty easy choice for me. So, Busta, after after your playing days were over, um, you, you got into coaching for a little bit, right, at, at Assumption. So t- tell us a little bit about getting into coaching for a bit and then what you, you know, what you're doing now. I can't what- hear, you, hear anything that you said breaking up. Uh, can you hear me? You got me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. All right, good deal. Sorry about that. So tell us a little bit about your after your playing days, you know, just what you got into. I know you got into coaching for a little while. Uh, tell us about that. And then what you got going on now and, and where you're headed next in terms of your career and, and what you're doing. Okay, so after after I left San Fran, I was in Chicago. Unfortunately, injuries just derailed my career, and then which eventually um, pushed me out of the league. So after after I had surgery, after I left Chicago, I ended up going back to school in 2018, and I finished up my degree. I think I had a few classes and an internship I had to finish up in 2018. So I finished that, got my degree, 
and then that's when I jumped into coaching. Um, I went up to Assumption College where I was uh, able to coach receivers up at that um, Division two school. So it was a good time. I coached a lot of good players. It's, it's crazy now because we got a guy, um, Carlins. Um, he's a DB. He's actually transferring from Assumption to South Carolina. He's a grad transfer. Mm-hmm. He's one of the guys that I know. I think he's he'll be coming in in May. I think that's what he said when I spoke with him. But he's actually a guy that, that I know um, from Assumption that's actually transferring to South Carolina, which is kind of crazy. But I got a chance to coach up there for a while. And then literally right after the season, the AAF League came about. And one of my coaches that was in San Francisco gave me a call, offered me a chance to come down there um, in Birmingham and play. So that was an opportunity that I took. Um, I left coaching went ahead and start back playing. And then obviously, as we all know, that league shut down. So I came back home and now I'm actually working at Enterprise um, here in Atlanta. So I've been in, I've been working at Enterprise for about a year, a year and two or three months now. Okay, man. Cool, cool. So, I, you know, you, you brought up uh, Carlin's Patel there at Assumption. I was going to ask you, uh, can can you give the Gamecock fans a little bit of a scouting report? What uh, what can you tell us about him and, and maybe what he could bring to the Gamecocks this year as a grad transfer? I mean, I think he's going to come in as a as a leader, somebody that's going to fill that void. I know we had two um two cornerbacks just leave, so I think as an older guy, somebody that's I mean, he's a guy that's going to go out there and do everything that you ask of him. I mean, he's that guy that's going to come in and put that work in every day. He's a guy that you don't have to worry about off the field. You know, he's going to do everything he needs to do as far as in the classroom and off the field. So, I mean, I think he'll be a good fit just coming in and being an older guy. And hopefully I think he's going to come in and be one of those leaders. Buster, let's let's take it forward now. Obviously, you've, you've really kept up with the program, you know, since you left and you're working there in Atlanta. But obviously, you've kept your finger on the pulse of Gamecock Athletics. So, Give us your thoughts on, you know, the next phase, the next era for Gamecock football with Shane Beamer. Um, and and have you had a chance to speak with him or any other coaches? Any plans on returning to Columbia at some point in the near future to check things out? Um, I definitely want to return to Columbia here soon just to go see kind of what's going on, see the new facility, which I haven't got a chance to. I've seen the, the indoor when I was there in 2018, but I think they were still working on that other facility that they were building um, right at the time that I graduated. But um, I've heard a lot of good things about Shane. I mean, a lot of the older guys that I played ball with when I was there, they they played um, when he was there. I think he left the year I came in. So I didn't get a chance to meet him or anything like that. But I heard nothing but great things. And obviously, a lot of the guys have been campaigning um, for him prior to his arrival to, uh, back to South Carolina. So I think, like, I'm, I think – Will Muschamp did a good job as far as the recruiting aspect. It's just we some somehow somewhere we couldn't get it all together. So hopefully this is the the new era of Gamecock football where we get back to the old ways. Back when I was playing, and we were on the five peat beating Clemson every year. You know things get back to the normal ways. I think our winning traditions have kind of faded away, but hopefully the Shane Beamer era we bring it back. Busta, last thing I got for you here, man. I was I was looking at your your Twitter. By the way, if everybody wants to keep up with Busta, hit him up on Twitter at Busta Anderson. And um, I got to ask you, man, because it, it's something I'm into as well. I see you got a lot of crypto tweets on here. Um, 
How, how did you start and, to get into the cryptocurrency, man? And and if if you're uh, if you want to, maybe maybe give us a little prediction. You, you got something that's going to the moon that we need to get in on? Uh, I got um. As you see, it's a it's a coin on there. I've been talking about called Tailcoin. One of my buddies actually that I play high school football with, he actually put me on this um, cryptocurrency. It has a lot of, uh, I think it's based on like remittances. It's basically sending money um, across countries and stuff like that. So they have a lot of partnerships with like GCash in the Philippines. So I think that's going to be one. I mean, right now it's less than a penny. It's something that everybody can afford. And it's a long-term investment for me. So I've seen what it can do um, when my buddy put his money in. So I hopefully I can I can duplicate the same thing. So. A lot of cryptos are uh, actually a big wave right now. As, obviously, as we see, like the stock market has crashed as of recently. Because I've been in the stock market a lot as well, but with it crashing, I think I've been doing a lot more focus on my cryptocurrency, which is something that I think everybody should at least take a look at. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, man. I'm with you. I'm, I'm actually going to go check that out today. Chris, you got anything else, man? You got any more uh, questions? I really appreciate your time, Buster. Thanks so much, especially on short notice, man. We just talked about this last night and Italy, you kind enough to do it today. So I really appreciate you coming on with us, man. It was great to hear from you. I appreciate y'all having me, man. Anytime. Y'all have a good one, man. Stay safe out here. I know um, it's been a crazy last year, um, 2020. I hope everybody had a, a decent 2020. Everybody's family is safe and everybody continue to be blessed. Awesome stuff. Thanks so much, Buster. We uh, hope to hear from you soon, okay, man? Yes, sir. Y'all take care. Go Gamecocks. All right, there he is, Buster Anderson, former Gamecock tight end. Great joining us. Uh, some good stuff from Buster there, and uh, I, I think, Chris, the uh, it, it caught my attention what he said there at the end about, and this is maybe a running theme we've, we've heard from some former Gamecocks, and that's trying to get back to that that winning tradition. And, and he even, you know, he said um, just sort of offhand, it feels like the, the winning tradition is gone right now. And I think Gamecock fans would probably agree with that, most of them, and that's something that the current coaching staff is trying to get back. But, man, I, I remember that it really it got to a point when it was almost expected that South Carolina was going to win, Yep, was going to be a good team, and was a good program. And, Chris, to me, it almost feels like as soon as it kind of hit that point where it was just expected, that's when it sort of fell off the cliff. But um, obviously a- another guy that can can provide insight into what it was like when it was rolling here. And just to me, Chris, another reminder of the depth of talent that South Carolina had at that time. I don't know if we even appreciated. I, I know we appreciated the Clownies. The uh, the Marcus Lattimore's, the Stephon Gilmore's, the Alshon Jeffries, we appreciated all those guys. I don't know if, as a collective, that we quite appreciated some of the sort of I don't even want to say role players that that might be downplaying him, but just the the other guys that were contributing on those teams. Yeah, I mean the thing that we always talk about, just even in some of our just you know, off air conversations is just when you walk into the indoor and you look at that banner that they have hanging up there and it's your Shaw's, Jeffries, Lattimore, Gilmore, those guys all played on the same team at, at one point or another. But that's leaving off 
guys like Busta, who was a really good player, again, as a freshman, played in every game, caught several touchdowns, made, made some big plays during his career, year two. You know, he was on that team that that I consider personally the best one in Gamecock history, and I think that was his best season in terms of touchdowns that year, caught that big one against Georgia, um, was good enough to get drafted into the NFL, so clearly a really good player. But, you know, that was a guy that maybe people forget about as much. He, you know, even Shaq Rowland, he mentioned Shaq Rowland earlier. You know, Shaq's career obviously didn't go how it could have, but he made some huge plays at South Carolina. You know, and, and just tons of guys um, on those teams, whether it's maybe it was some linemen that, you know, were backup type guys. Um, your Byron Gerardos of the world now on, on staff at South Carolina, who, who was a starter. I mean, huge players, guys that were maybe starters, guys that were maybe more of role players, whether they're backups, but just some great players and just a lot of depth and a lot of talent on those teams. No doubt. I'm going to hit a quick question here, and then we promised we would talk a little bit of quarterbacks, but. J.E.E. Um, says, from speaking with all these former players, what overall takeaways do you have regarding the different cultures under Spurrier slash Muschamp? Uh, and I think it is a bit of a complicated answer, Chris. We, especially these days, we try to sort of maybe take an issue or take something and sort of like grind it down into one theme or one answer uh, Hard to do here, I think. Yeah. In my in my opinion, winning doesn't cure all, but winning cures most. Um, so you start to see the cracks when the winds disappear. Oh, and yeah. in any time you have eighty five scholarship guys, add in fifteen to twenty or more, actually walk-on guys, an entire room of coaches, an entire other room of support staff people, an entire other room of recruiting and trainers and uh, doctors and all this stuff. Point being, you're trying to get hundreds of people to all pull the same direction. That, That is difficult to sort of build. And when, when you start to rack up losses, finger pointing can start. Mm-hmm. So yes, we, we found there were some issues with the culture at South Carolina as the Muschamp era sort of fell off and, and at the end. Um, I think it's disingenuous to pretend it was perfect under Steve Spurrier, if I'm being completely frank, because I don't know if the perfect, you know, team culture exists in college football. Um, But there are some things we could probably learn from the Steve Spurrier era if you're Shane Beamer. And frankly, Chris, there's probably some things you could learn from that era that you need to do differently because we saw the program at its all-time high and we saw that it didn't continue. So... I, I think the important thing is is not to just say it was all bad under Will Muschamp and to not say it was all perfect under Steve Spurrier because neither one of those things are true. To me, it's about what can we learn from what just happened, good and bad, and what can we learn from the Spurrier era, both good and bad. Yeah, and I, I think to create 
sort of that ultimate premier great culture, you've got to have both things. You, you do have to have talent because at some point, you know, you can talk about great culture, but you have to pair that with wins. And those two are eventually going to start working hand in hand, especially when you talk about long term. And I think even if you talk about you talk to some of the players who are around for sort of the midpoint and then the end of the Spurrier era, um, you know, Matrick Belton come, comes to mind, you know, who you had on recently. I remember I spoke with him a while back about this, and he sort of chalked it up to some of the types of guys that eventually came in in recruiting who he said, you know, we had some guys towards the end, uh, you know, 14, 15, that were coming in and sort of expecting instead of, you know, getting things, going out and getting them, sort of earning them. And that's different from, you know, say the 2009 class where you're getting in, Jeffrey Gilmore, you know, Holloman, those types of guys, then your Marcus Lattimore's, those guys were hungry. They, they were tone setters. So I say that to illustrate the point of your players have to be the ones that, that ultimately drive your culture, you know, and, and if you're winning, it's much easier to sustain that. And so to win, what do you have to have? You have to have great players, you know, so that's what they had during the Spurrier era. Now, like you said, man, there were obviously some things that, you know, even during the Spurrier era, uh, they could have done differently and, and maybe they could have even been better. That's something we talk about. They could have been even better, but obviously they did a lot of things right. And, um, you know, Busta talked about that with some of the guys that they had, obviously some of the names that he played with himself included, you know, great leadership qualities and, and great culture drivers. But I think to, to sort of boil down an answer to the question of, you know, it is different with Beamer and Muschamp, just sort of the structure of the program, the, the way that they talk about things, maybe even the way that they interact with some players um, and, and try to do those things is a little bit different. Now, something I think is important to, if we're trying to be fair here, you know, this team, they haven't practiced yet. They haven't had a chance to lose a game yet. You know, so everything right now is very positive. So I think it's going to be about what happens with some adversity hits, you know, whether it's in the third or fourth quarter, whether it's after you lose a game. Those are very important, but but Beamer has put a huge premium on culture, loving players. You know, you hear a lot about, you know, brotherhood and gratitude and things like that. So it is a different type of vibe, you know, th- than what we've seen maybe the past few years. No doubt. Uh, let's see. Freddie wants to know what cryptocurrency coin Busta was talking about. That was tail coin, which I believe the sign for is just a dollar sign T-E-L. Um, if you want to go check that out. But uh, finally, Chris, let's close it out. Craig was asking about quarterbacks, and the point I was getting to is that, and I, I wrote about this yesterday in Carolina Confidential. If you're a Gamecock Central subscriber, go check go check that out because I've got a little bit on a big-time running back that took a virtual visit, a speedster to watch at wide receiver, a little bit new, maybe not completely new, but a little bit new on, on Antonio Williams, the local big-time receiver from Dutch Fork. But – Chris, I'll let you sort of take this one, but my my opinion that I I put there was that I think this class will really start to take shape this summer when visits are allowed again, when kids can get on campus, when they can see what it's actually like in that building, what the vibe is with this new staff, and that that maybe extends to quarterback as well. And I I think that we are seeing a number of kids – We've seen a run at the quarterback position um, where guys have went ahead and committed. But the more kids I talk to, and maybe it's at other positions, but the more kids I talk to that have waited to this point, 
I think the closer we get to June 1, when there's a possibility visits will be allowed again, Chris, the closer we get till then, the fewer and fewer new commits we will have, in my opinion, because I think guys will say, I've waited this long. Mm -hmm. I might as well wait till the summer. And I think once South Carolina starts getting kids in, they're, uh, you know, they're taking visits, they're seeing what the new culture is about, they're seeing the facilities, that's when this class will actually start to take shape. That's my big picture thought. What is What are your thoughts on 2022 quarterback recruiting? And if you want, maybe for people who haven't really been paying that close of attention, you want to just sort of give a little quick uh, update or recap on how we've gotten to where things are right now. Yeah, and I think you nailed it. So, I mean, th- there are a lot of guys that, as we get closer, are, are looking at waiting. It is looking more promising, I think, based on some things we've heard, some things we've observed for recruiting to reopen after May 31st when the dead period ends. It's not official, but we've already seen – I mean, I saw Penn State scheduled some official visits for June. They've got guys on the books. Now, they could always adjust that. It's not like it's set in stone. UCF announced some prospect camp dates on campus. You know, so nothing is officially open, but we're seeing and, and we're hearing even behind the scenes, there's very much a thought that in some form or fashion, visits and camps are going to come back this summer. And so for South Carolina, that's much more important. I think you nailed this earlier as to why. The reality, not the excuse, but the reality of where South, South Carolina is makes it more important that they're able to get, or it makes it more critical that they're able to get keys on cam- kids on campus. Um, South Carolina isn't Alabama right now. They can't just recruit via Zoom and say, we're Alabama. You know what you're getting. You've seen the product. You know the staff. You know that, you know, those things are not in place for South Carolina. It's a totally new staff except for one. Um, They've got facilities that a lot of guys haven't seen. They don't have the tradition or the logo of some other schools. Um, We saw a run more on quarterbacks than other positions because of the unique nature of that position. With quarterbacks, again, you're going to take one, max of two per class in most cases, normally an average of one, sometimes even zero. And so when one commits, that creates this domino effect. We're seeing that a lot lately. So South Carolina offered three quarterbacks, you know, in the 22 class during the Shane Beamer era, Tanner Bailey out of Alabama, Drew Alar out of Ohio, Taven Jackson out of Indiana. The, the first two have committed to Oregon and Penn State. Taven Jackson is not committed anywhere, but I don't think that's one that I would anticipate South Carolina being a big factor for. I think Indiana is going to be a big factor in state. His brother plays for the basketball team. Uh, he's interested in, in a bunch of other schools, it appears. So that makes it more critical that South Carolina gets some guys on campus, you know, continues sort of scouring the ranks and just see where things go. Now, could something advance? I mean, there's still a while between here in March and June 1. Right. But I think this the way that things have gone down increases the likelihood that it's the summer before South Carolina finds a quarterback. And, you know, I think I agree with you that the rest of the class is going to build out much more in the summer once they can get some guys on campus that, frankly, have not been to South Carolina probably ever or at least since some of this new stuff was built. Yeah, I was talking to um, somebody Yesterday, Chris, when I was doing this Carolina Confidential again, if you haven't checked it out, please go check that out. But um, talking to somebody close to a kid, the kid being um, C.J. Smith, who's a wide receiver from from Orlando, Florida, and um, 
He said, yeah, we, you know, we, we visited South Carolina before. And he's an out-of-state kid from Orlando. And I remember sort of thinking, being surprised that he had actually been on campus. And then it hit me how many guys that are out-of-state kids that just have not been to Columbia at this point because the recruiting shutdown has been really actually by the time it is over and we don't even know if it's going to be over, but by the time where it extends to right now is over, it will have been over a year since they could visit. So um, in this case, CJ Smith actually was in town because he's a big time track guy and had a track event that brought him to Columbia and he was able to get on the USC campus and sort of check things out there. Even then, still not an actual visit. And there's a difference between going through a facility, getting the full rundown, and sort of uh, actually having that part of the process versus walking around by yourself or getting on a virtual visit. I was talking uh, to Michael Allen, the four-star running back, last night, and uh, you know he was very open and honest. He had, he had a great time on his virtual visit to South Carolina. He was like, you know, it was, it was a great time considering it was through a computer screen. I mean, it's, it's just not the same for these kids. And so for South Carolina, if you're a fan out there, I would the thing I would pay attention to would be the kids saying, A, I'm going to wait it out until the summer hits, and B, that are saying, I want to get to South Carolina. Michael Allen, a guy that wants to get to South Carolina. C.J. Smith, a guy that wants to get to South Carolina because that's where some, some actual momentum, I, I think, will, will be built in the end. So, all right, y'all, I, I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, again, this was the Wednesday show, so depending on when you listen to this or when you watch this, um, South Carolina plays the Citadel in baseball tonight. Uh, I think that's at 6.30. Let me – Make sure I'm not telling you all wrong. That that game is on ESPN Plus, so you may have to actually jump through some – not the regular old watch ESPN stuff. Uh, that game's at 6 o'clock, excuse me. Uh, it's on ESPN Plus. So you're going to need that actual subscription uh, to the ESPN Plus deal to actually watch that game. Then South Carolina basketball, before you hear from us again or see us again, will play their SEC tournament game. Late on Thursday, again, that's like 25 minutes after the end of the game before, so you never actually know what time these games will start. And so we'll obviously have coverage for that on Gamecock Central, so men's basketball game Thursday night. And then Friday night, that big matchup, South Carolina-Texas in baseball, and we'll have Colin Taylor join us here on the show to preview that matchup. And uh, I think a maybe the first time – you know, the, the fan base was pumped up for Clemson, Chris, but this is the most pumped up I've seen South Carolina fans over baseball in a long time because of those two wins over Clemson, because the 10-0 and start. We'll see if they can get to 11-0 and tonight, and if they do, even if they don't, but certainly if they do, I think you'll have a lot of Gamecock fans um, very, very pumped about that, and we'll have a little, have a little tutorial on Friday to make sure fans are going to be able to watch the game and how, how to get the Longhorn Network, make sure they're good. Um, final thing, Chris, we got to throw a shout-out to our boy, Gamecock Russ, because he went viral with this tweet um, that I'm throwing up on the screen right now in between us. 
worth mentioning, right? And I, I didn't check your math, Russ, so I'm just hoping as everybody spread this around that you that your math was correct because I didn't check it. But South Carolina women's basketball program was 581 and 429 going into the start of the Dawn Staley era. Dawn Staley has led the Gamecocks to a 325 and 102 mark after winning the SEC tournament championship this past weekend. She is responsible. Here's the the bombshell. I'm sure a lot of you have already seen this. She's responsible for 35.87% of South Carolina's all-time wins in women's basketball. So if you like numbers and if you believe numbers can represent things, then this number should absolutely jump off the page at you because it maybe puts in a little bit of perspective to what exactly Don Staley has meant for South Carolina and women's basketball. And and just another example, Chris, of how she's completely changed that sport for the Gamecocks. And I'll tell you, man, the, the, the crazy thing is that 325 and 102 mark obviously includes her first few years when she was taking over a program that was not talked about, was towards the bottom of the conference, and – did not have the talent to compete for championships. So I actually, my, my brain started turning for what, what is Dawn Staley's record once things got rolling? Um, Because that's probably an even better example of exactly uh, what she is capable of at South Carolina. But man, to to close it out, I, I figured we had to throw a shout out at Russ and throw a shout out at Dawn Staley for this incredible stat. Yeah. Awesome stat. And Gamecock basketball, you know, there was a – I had to look this up. There's a little time period like in 1920-something where they played, but started really playing women's basketball in 1974. So almost – I'm really bad at math. Almost 50 years this team has been playing. And so Dawn Staley obviously has been at South Carolina, not for 50 years, but only since the 2008-9 season. Those first two seasons were losing seasons, and since then, 18 and 15 in 2010 – 25 wins in 2011 plus a sweet 16. And from there just absolutely exploded. Yep. So shout out again, Gamecock Russ, give him a follow at Rusty B 25. And of course, shout out Don Staley. Shout out to everybody that has watched and supported and listened and all that good stuff for the show. Please leave a review, uh, rate, review, subscribe, hit the like button, press all the buttons for Chris. I'm Wes. We'll see you all on Friday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.